0: I. V. M. Folks, welcome to Paisa, Paisa. I'm your host, Gupta B50 on Twitter and this is the IPO game specially. <laughs> yeah, the game special because it seems IPO is all about winning and losing. God knows how things are allotted. What happens, the issue opens on the exchanges and then but anyway to explain all of that I have with me Aditya Kondavar, founder, COO, JST Investments Aditya welcome to Pesa Paisa, tell us something about yourself and how
1: you started JST go for it. Thank you Anupamji for having me on this show you know I've been listening to a lot of your shows and you know they are quite informative Uh, to be able to come here and speak to your listeners is quite an honor so you know about me uh, I'm just a curious soul You know, I'm curious about a lot of things, you know, reading, writing, fitness. And, you know, I've been the most curious about helping others create long-term sustainable wealth. So, you know, this curiosity towards the long-term sustainable wealth is what led us to create JST Investments. So it is led by me, Aditya Shah and Anish Munga. So we started in between the pandemic uh, as a three-member team. And, you know, we have since evolved into a 10-member team. So from our start, four months back, uh, we have evolved from zero clients and uh, zero rupees of AUM into more than 70 clients with uh, more than rupees, 100 crores in assets under wow. management. In
0: the pandemic, so, in, you guys went yeah. all the way to 100 crores in assets under Okay, phenomenal.
1: Congratulations. It's a big number. Thank you, Anupamji. Thank you. So, you know, at JST Investments, uh, you know, we help our clients create portfolios for the very long term. And we uh, specialize in equity and debt. Now, when when we say long term, right, we don't just say it, we also execute it. So if you look at our historical portfolios, they have all had 0% churn. And, you know, whatever we do at JST, it is based on deep research. And what we try to do over here is that we cancel out all the noise and carry out our own independent research. You know, and coming to our investment style, you know, it is quite uh, simple and boring. We read day day in and day out and try to bring out uh, new facts and new trends and, uh, you know, uh, irrespective of, of, of what all is happening in the market, so we carry out a lot of contrarian actions, and it has helped us to uh, decide where to put our money. And at the same time, it has also helped us to avoid all the skeletons that were yet to come out in the market. So some of our so some of our hits were, you know, when we found out that you know the crisis is unfolding in DHFL, Yes Bank, uh, the Credit risk funds, and so on.
0: Okay, Aditya, the hottest question that we have on IPOs because IPOs is again a very very big. It's become this very big buzzword, you know. So you had the Cam's IPO that got uh, oversubscribed by a big margin. Recently, you had the Burger King IPO that got oversubscribed by another big margin. And, I, uh, you know, and in, in the past, there have been so many of these blockbuster IPOs. They come, they go, you know, people get an allotment they don't get an allotment i want you to tell us about one aspect this grey market premium abhi tell us what exactly is a grey market premium and why you know you say it's a vanity metric sure
1: so you know anupam ji grey uh, so gmp or grey market premium as it is called and you know, as as uh, you know as vanity as it sounds it is like that okay so basically it denotes the premium or discount at which a ipo going company is going to trade at and you know it indicates a probable listing price so let us take an example okay so the one ipo which is on everyone's minds these days is the burger king ipo okay you know it listed today so burger king ipo on its on its day 2 of the ipo window had a grey market premium of 30 rupees on an issue price of 59 to 60 rupees now basically this gmp indicated that burger king shares are going to list at a price of rupees 90 the 60 rupees issue price and the 30 rupees premium but you know we saw today that the Company listed at ninety percent premium, and you know it uh, went up higher and closed at one thirty-five rupees. So in the recent times, uh, we have seen huge differences in grey market premiums and actual listing prices. And you know a lot of uh, short-term players use it to play in the IPO game for the listing gains. And you, they try to use it as a major data point for all their decision making. But you know, as we will see uh, in the more examples below, GMP is uh, not that of a reliable indicator. So, uh, example number one, okay, so, uh, you know, when the coronavirus was just uh, starting to materialize and we, that time we had a uh, blockbuster IPO of SBI cards, okay, the issue size was quite big and, you know, it had a very good gray market premium of Rs. 300, 300 because, you know, it was the first pure play credit cards company to get listed on the exchanges. The issue price was rupees 750 to 755. But, you know, due to the COVID onset, uh, the gray market premium vanished and the stock listed at a discount of 661. rupees. Now, one more recent example is of angel broking, you know, the issue price was rupees 306. The gray market premium was quite low at 5 to 10 rupees, but then, you know, it listed at a discount of 275 rupees. But at the same time, what has happened post-that that, is that, uh, you know, due to its Q2 bumper results, the stock has gained and it is trading at 30 rupees now. Now, one more, ex- now the now the one example that I always emphasize on when talking about GMP is the Mahindra Logistics IPO. So, you know, Mahindra Logistics uh, the grey market premium was quite good a day before the listing day, you know, it was ha- as high as 30-40%. But, you know, on the listing day, the grey market premium went to zero in a few minutes. You know, The, the, the day it got listed, it was the Gujarat elections outcome. Mm. You know, it was shown in the exit post that BJP was losing seats, you know, but then counting took a U-turn again. BJP was shown in lead and hence the stock listed uh, at a par, you know, it recovered all the discount and it listed, uh, listed at par. So that's why we always say that, you know, you should always leave gray market premium aside and you should always always look at fundamentals first. Okay. That's interesting.
0: Can you tell our listeners what is the basis of calculation of this gray market premium? I mean, you know, because this is an, an unofficial market. There is uh there's no gray market premium ticker that comes on CNBC or on any channel for that matter. There is no way to track it. It's just an you know, it's just a very hearsay number. Can you give our listeners some insights as to how this
1: is? How this is generated? So Anupamji, this is where it, where it gets interesting, you know, because like you said there is no CNBC ticker for grey market premium. This is all unofficial and all these figures get published and you know all these trades are being done on an on, unofficial basis. This is the over-the-counter market. Hmm. So, uh, so the basis of this calculation is just the premium that uh, a few dealers and uh, a few dealers and brokers are uh, who are ready to buy the application forms and the shares from the people who have been allotted the shares mm. so we have something called the gray market premium and we have something called the cost tag the cost tag is nothing but when you sell your application form to a broker and then there is a certain rate that is being charged in the market by these unofficial players so i will tell you something this is, nothing, this is not official at all. Sure. And I can't even tell you if it is authentic and if it is verified by anyone. Okay. For for all I know, it is a concerted effort of a few players to make the issue look enticing. You know, Because uh, whenever you show to someone that okay, a thing, uh, an IPO is coming at 60 rupees and people are ready to pay 90 rupees for it, they are naturally attracted towards it. Okay. So for all we know, it's just a concerted effort of making it look. Enticing.
0: Understood. Understood. Take care. Fine. Now I want to get some practical tips and tricks from you for our listeners. Okay. Give us a checklist of how to choose a good IPO to invest in. Right. Now there are so many of them coming out now. There have been so many in the last few months. And all that, you know, that I keep hearing from people is just look at the gray market. I mean, nobody even opens the offer document. Nobody opens the, oh, okay. In this case, I, I should call you the rhetoric prospectus. And they just go by no, what yeah, their huh. friends say, about social media is saying. So can you give us some, you know, maybe a
1: checklist of how to choose a good IPO? Sure. So uh, ji, you make a very interesting point because, you know, when the IPO bull run comes, everyone, you know, they get greedy and they uh, ignore all the fundamentals. Like you correctly said, no one even bothers opening the offer document or the DRHP as we call it. So we at JST always say that, you know, if you want to know which IPO to invest in, even for the short term or the long term, you should treat it only. So now, for people who are unaware of this word, only is just a horoscope or a birth chart, you know, to evaluate one's future. Now, the only document for an IPO is the DRHP, as you rightly said, the Draft Red Herring Prospectors. And you know, whenever a company wants to raise capital uh, from the markets, they have to file an offer document uh, with our markets regulator, which is SEBI. And uh, you know this offer document uh, contains contains a lot of things. Okay, it's a proper 600 page document, and it contains a lot of things. Uh, right from your risk factors, the company SWOT analysis, uh, the company's strategies. Uh, you know what? They, what do they want to do with the raised? What, what What do they want to do with the capital that they're about to raise? Uh, the company management information, uh, their background, their experience, their remuneration, their qualifications, uh, the business model of the company, the finance. And the main part, which is the financials for the past three, five years of the company itself and its peers, then then we have something called the peer comparison. So this offer document, you know, it it, uh, helps investors take an informed decision whether they want to take, whether they want to invest in the IPO or not. And if they want to, if, if it is for the short term or the long term. So, you know, how does it help investors? Okay, so obviously it helps the investors to create value so let me take an ex- let me take a very recent example of uh, you know gland pharma so uh, the company came up with an ipo and we also uh, there was a huge noise in the market saying that you know since its promoter is fosun which is which is chinese the ipo won't sail through and you know it was somewhat reflected in the gray market premiums as well you know the gray market premiums started as high as 150 rupees but, uh, you know, then it went down to five ten rupees and then everyone thought, okay, the company will list at a discount. But uh, to everyone's dismay, the company listed at a good premium and then kept on gaining in each session and today it trades with a good gain of 45%. Mm. Now, when we read the GLAND DRHP, we saw the number of things it had going great. Okay. So the company is a B2B injectable injectables player. It has leadership in gross margins and uh, you know it has market leadership in gross margins as well. There are huge, huge barriers of entry for the industry it operates in and then hence we gave a buy on the IPO, even though you know there was 0 gmp and there was a lot of negative sentiment against this talk. okay now of course when we talk about ipos uh, we also talk about the example of dmart you know uh, we saw how the ipo came at uh, 299 rupees and uh, we saw how it listed at 600 rupees and then it has gone up all the way up to 2433 3 rupees you know it it has created immense wealth for its shareholders mm-hmm. all in a matter of less than 4 years now again in the case of uh, dmart you would have read from its drhp how how uh, they do retail you know Uh, in retail in india we see that all the all the retail operators have their stores on lease so you know uh, it is a huge cost on their operating profit but you know when it comes to dmart they have been doing their real estate buying from more than a decade and that is what has been helping them helping them now with uh, operating margin and net profit margin leadership. Yeah. So, from the DRHP, you come to know all of these things, and it helps you to make uh, informed decision. So, Anupam gc when we when we talk about the good, we talk, also talk about the bad. Okay. So, when I tell you that you know a DRHP helps you take a informed decision to invest in a company, it, it may also help you avoid a bad company, right? Correct. So, let me give you one more example. Okay. So, uh, when, when i when i talk about wealth destroyers in ipo i usually talk about sterling wilson okay so it is a epc company from the shapurji palanji group hmm. and you know uh, the company came with an ipo in uh, 2019 and you know when the company was going for an ipo they had mentioned in their prospectus that you know the holding company which is shapurji palanji group owes sterling wilson 2500 odd crores and then they said he you know once the ipo is done they will pay it off in 90 days Okay no, of course, when the company listed you know in uh, after two months, the promoter said that they are not able to repay the money, and uh, you know they see they wanted an extension on the payment, so because of that you know the trust of the shareholders was destroyed, and the company started hitting lower circuits continuously okay. and the company went as low as rupees seventy and today traded rupees two forty four but again, over here we saw that how just one little covenant in the 600-page document could have saved the investors from investing in this company.
0: So that's the point. How would you, you know, how if someone, you know, if the experts on the street can't figure out a 500-600-page document, then how would a retail investor, what is he supposed to do? I mean, where is he going to have the wherewithal to understand uh, that thick document? What are your thoughts on that?
1: that's a great question see so you don't have to read the whole 600 page document because i'll be very honest DRHPs is these days are just marketing materials okay you don't need to read the whole document you just need to sift through the risks you need to sift through the management related party transactions or you need to sift through the financials you need to sift through the uh, you know the covenants and the contingent liabilities even if you if you would have uh, you know sifted through the risk section of the sterling wilson drhp you would have found this point over there
0: okay Okay, okay, okay. So, folks, we're going to take a small break out here. On the other side of this episode, we're going to talk about the pre-IPO market. uh, And we're going to wrap things up with your strategy for IPOs. You know, what to do when it gets oversubscribed and if you've got an allotment and all that stuff. So, don't worry, we'll be right back. My guest, Aditya Kundavar, founder, CEO, JST Investment. And welcome back to this episode of Paisa, Paisa my guest, Aditya Kundawar, founder, CEO at GST Investments. We are talking about IPOs and we spoke about IPOs that make it finally to the to the public. We are going to talk about the pre-IPO market. Okay, Aditya, what exactly is the pre-IPO market?
1: Is it even open to retail investors and what are the risks out here? So Anupam ji, you know, pre-IPO market has, uh, has developed a lot in the past four, five years, you know. And uh, so let me tell you first about the pre-IPO market. So, uh, Pre-IPO investing means you are buying or selling shares of a company before it's IPO. That is, these, these shares are still unlisted. Okay. Now, the shares being sold are in the DMAT form itself and they reflect in one's DMAT account with this ISIN number. So, you see these shares are not traded, right? So, there is no ticker attached to it and there is no price attached to it. But what what is attached to it is the ISIN number since they are registered with a depository. Now, why, why should one do pre-IPO? So, uh, you know, investing in pre-IPO helps one to identify good companies which are going to get listed. And then the best part about investing in pre-IPO is that you know you get your own desired desired quantity of shares. You know, because when you apply in an IPO, we all know that the chances of getting an IPO allotment are very slim or zero. So you know uh, the the whole the whole uh, principle of uh, investing in markets is to identify good companies at an early stage. And pre-IPO propagates the same thing. So we see how PE and VC players invest in early stage companies, right? So what we what we do in pre ipo is basically a step more than that. The step two, you know, we already know that the company is okay established. And, you know, the company has also shown its intent to get listed. And therefore, we know we can invest in the company and, and we have a clear roadmap in front of us. Okay, saying that, okay, if I invest in year 2020, the company has uh, mentioned this annual report 2020, that 2022, they're planning to get listed now of course when we talk about the advantages we have to also talk about the risks so you know there are a lot of unlisted or uh, pre ipo companies where the timeline of listing is not clear okay and the exit may be much delayed so for example the HDFC group ha- ha- has always discussed and adhered to its subsidiary listing plans now one question that always comes is how do these pre shares get originated in the market so uh, you know uh, like I said be- like we had discussed before you know the new age companies uh, which have uh, PE and VCs uh, at their at their uh, disposal, you know. So when they invest, they usually, uh, you know, they take up some shares. And at the same time, what happens in hypergrowth companies of today is that uh, these companies award ESOPs to their employees. So what happens with ESOPs is that they basically offer a stake of the company uh, to their employees. And after the vesting period ends, they can exercise their right and they can sell uh, sell off these shares in the in the op- in the private market. So, uh, you know, one question that also comes is that why do they uh, sell these shares, you know, so uh, it can be because, you know, if they have any uh, requirement of money or simply because they're not so bullish about the company in the future. And, you know, let's be honest, not everyone has a 10, 20, 30 year view. So, you know, they think that this is the best that they can get. And one thing that has to be noted over here is that uh, this is a secondary of market transaction and the, share, the, the the company is not involved in any way in the transaction. Now, of course, all this sounds good, and uh, you know, uh, this may entice a lot of investors. Huh. So, one more question that we usually get is, what is the minimum amount? Okay, so uh, you know, depending on the company shares and the dealer that you are interacting interacting with, the minimum amount for pre IPO can vary anywhere from uh, fifty thousand to one lakh rupees. That the single lot. Okay, and uh, one more thing. Uh, one more risk that is present in pre-IPO is that, you know, as per SEBI rules, all pre-IPO shares have a lock-in of one year from the date of listing. So, for example, say I, I invest in an unlisted company, which is going to go with go for an IPO next year. So, when I buy the shares, I can freely trade in those shares. I can sell it off. I can buy again. I can sell it off. I can buy again. Okay. But the moment the company comes up with an IPO and the, uh, the the shares get listed on the exchange, I will have a one-year lock-in. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know a word of caution for all the people out there who are thinking that you know pre IPO is very easy and i should just uh, go out there and buy any private any pre-IP company because then i will make that arbitrage so you know i just want to give give them a word of caution you know if you are a first-time buyer you need to be careful on the price that you're paying out to a dealer you need to do a, a market check with everyone with uh, various dealers whether you are to just check if you're not overpaying for the shares. Okay. And I would also suggest, uh, investors who are inter- interested in this to just uh deal with the uh, the stronger companies, the companies who have good financials, because then you know, it's easy to get fooled in the pursuit of uh, free money and uh, you know of fast money. Got it. So, folks,
0: word of warning out there for you: very, very strict warning. The pre IPO market is something that you should be extremely careful. If at all you're planning to deal with consult the financial advice of somebody that you trust, do not take that uh, that market to be very simple or very easy because it's off the market literally I have the final question first, how do we improve our chance of getting allotments in an i p o and second is what should we do if you're lucky enough to get an you know to to get the i p o shares? Tell us about that first, let's start with how to improve chances of getting
1: allotment sure, sure. So, okay, so this is the golden question of the markets. How do I improve my chances of IPO alertment? Okay, sure. So, you know, this is uh, an absolutely valid and true question, you know. Uh, IPOs are getting subscribed as if there is no tomorrow. We saw in the Burger King IPO that it got oversubscribed 157 times. So, we see that IPOs having hundreds of uh, crores of subscription value, getting getting subscription for more than a lakh crores. So, that is the height of euphoria there is for IPOs. So, you know, the best way to uh, get an IPO allotment is to spread out all, all these applications across your family members' accounts. So, let me give you an example. So, say that, you know, uh, Anupamji, you were to apply four lots in an in, a, in a IPO that is going to open soon. So, I would suggest suggest you to not not do that. Instead, what you can instead do is that you can spread those four lots as one-one lot across four accounts so what basically happens is uh, let me explain you with a very uh, you know very basic uh, example say uh, say an ipo ipo company uh, say say a company comes up with an ipo and uh, say the company can only distribute 100 lots okay mm-hmm. and the demand for the ipo is 200 lots okay mm-hmm. so if you were to uh, apply just uh, two lots for one from one account your probability would be less but say when you uh, apply one lot from one account and one lot from another account, so then your probability at least becomes 100 because, 100% because because, you know, the, there were 200 lots that were applied and there were 100, 100 lots that were actually to be distributed. So there is a probability that you will... But
0: doesn't the company or the registrar mm-hmm. have some kind of a differentiation on the PAN basis or something of that sort? That if if definitely
1: So uh, that is why uh, we uh, I said that you know you have to spread it across the family members which have different uh-huh. bank accounts and different pens. So it is treated as a different entity altogether. Understood, understood. Go on, sorry, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean uh, that was it, that was it. I mean you sure. spread it across different family members and you increase the probability. Okay.
0: Okay, so final question. If some of us are lucky enough to get an IPO all- allotment of a blockbuster company and the and you have a blockbuster listing, like today, like you said, Burger King. Uh the IPO was at 60 and I believe the the listing went all the way to 135. What's
1: your recommendation in general, sell or hold? So Anupamji, what happens is that, you know, uh, when it comes to holding or selling the IPOs, it purely depends on the kind of company that is coming for an IPO. You know, some companies just come up, just come for an IPO pop. You know, you see companies coming at 200 P and uh, they're just giving their, uh, exiting uh, their uh, they're investee companies and exit but you know there are companies that are you know uh, actually have a very long runway ahead of them so you know some companies like uh, you know DMART, and then there's a very famous example of wipro you know which compounded wealth over a very long period of time wherein you invested a few thousand rupees and it became crores so again uh, i would uh, suggest you know p- uh, investors to read the drhp and uh, take a a, take an informed call as to what the company is going to do and uh, you know what the company is actually doing. And based on that, they can take a decision whether it is a short-term play or a long-term play. Fantastic.
0: Folks, that is a wrap on this IPO Cape special with Aditya Kondavar. Aditya, how can our listeners reach out to you?
1: Oh, so, they can they can reach out to me on Twitter at uh, Kondavar. Okay.
0: Folks, so if you have any questions, reach out to Aditya. And that is a wrap on this episode of the IPO Game Special. My guest, Aditya Kundavar, founder, CEO at GST Investment. Aditya, thank you so much for doing this for And please don't call me Anupam G. I'm just happy with the first name, but thank you so much. Thank you, Anubam. Thank you. Great. Folks, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want, if you want to reach out to me, I am B50 on Twitter. And thank you so much for listening to Vesa Vesa.